Hey everybody, welcome back to another segment of Tuesday Tips by the Hunt Lift Deep Podcast. As always, I'm your host Luke, here with my co-host Barry. What's going on, man? Not much, brother. Had a good weekend in Florida. Glad to be back home and I think we got a few good tips for our listeners out there today. Yeah, the Florida trip is awesome. For those of you that don't know and weren't following along, we had a little HLE team trip with some of the boys down at Destin. Uh, a couple of our team members are stationed down there at Eglin, so we had a pretty good time. Did a, I did a little spear fishing, and we did some uh, some deep sea fishing, put some meat in the cooler, and, and had a hell of a hell of a time. So, but yeah, we'll roll straight into to tips today. Why don't you open us up, Barry? Yes, your thing. My tip this week is going to be a little bit different than than some of our others that have you know tried to be a little bit more technical focused but but mine kind of hits close to home for me um recently and this this is a good tip for all you parents out there you know sportsmen sportswomen that have young kids and are hoping to pass along you know these traditions and these um these activities that we enjoy outdoors to the next generation and that's something that you know we've talked about before but my tip is just get them out there and start them young uh, it's something I've done with my son. At least I've tried to. And I think it's really made a big difference in the way he views um, his his uh, his role in the outdoors, his role in, you know, what he sees as his future in hunting. And um, the reality is, I mean, you're going to find this out, Luke. You're about to, you know, have a small child. It can be frustrating at times bringing along a kid on, you know, to do the things that you want to do. It adds extra time. Um, there's extra logistics you have to work out. But a couple of weeks ago, I was up at the farm and I took him out there, setting trail cameras, doing some work around the farm, getting him out on the tractor, um, did a little bit of shooting. You know, I was just out there shooting my bow tonight. He was like, Dad, I want to go get my bow in practice. I was like, cool, man, go grab it. Well, it's kind of hard to have an efficient training session with your bow when your five-year-old also wants to, you know, shoot his bow. But at the end of the day, I think it's really worth it. And I, I really hope that down the road, all those things are going to translate to him developing a love for the outdoors, developing a love for, uh, for hunting. And, you know, that's, I, I think the, I think it'll be well worth it. So that, that's my tip. Uh, start him young, get him involved. It'll be worth it down the road. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important because a lot of my buddies and, and you know, people I know, family that have kids that aren't into the same things they are, that's something that I've always kind of noticed. It's like they try to like take their, you know, 10 year old and take them out on a hunt. And they've got no interest in it. It's like, well, you know, they've grown up not doing it. It's something you've gone off and done on your own. And like now you want to introduce them to it. And they're, they've already been formed like they're, they're, they're a person now. And so it's not to say that every kid that you start off in the outdoors, they probably can get burnt out on. It's probably your approach and how you do it and how you introduce them. If you make it fun or if you make it miserable, if you're constantly bitching at them and, you know, telling them to shut up and all that shit. So like if you have a good measured approach, I, I think that's a hundred percent what you, what you should do. And that's what I plan on doing with, with my boy when he, when he gets here is taking him out. And Caroline was like, you know, when's he going to go on his first hunt? And I was like, probably this fall, you know, <laughs> throw them in a little backpack, walk around. I'm not going to shoot anything, obviously, but like we're, we're going to get out there, get in the woods. So um, take them, take them out at six oh, yeah. months old or whatever. That's the plan. Well, and you've been, you've been getting into fly fishing. That's something you could, you know, you could put him in the backpack on a nice day, take him out there with you. And like you said, your, you know, your approach with those types of things is critical. And that's, that's true for, for any activity uh, with a small child as any parent knows. And, you know, we don't have to belabor that point too much, but 
yeah, the bottom line is get them out there, get them involved, um, try to make it fun for them. If it means that it takes you a little extra longer to, to set your trail cameras or, or get the chores around, you know, hunting camp done that you need to get done, whatever it is, um, it'll be well worth it. And I, I think it's something that um, we, we all want to see the next generation get involved in the outdoors, be hunters, be fishers, um, be conservationists. So yeah, that's my tip for this week. That's a really good one, man. So I grabbed, jotted down some notes, uh, when I was in Alaska, just, you know, towards the end of the trip, while it was all fresh. And it's something I want to try to start doing is just keep those lessons learned fresh in your mind. Cause I'm always like, Oh, I'm going to remember that. And then I forget, I really regret not taking down more notes after the last hunting season. So, uh, one of the big things that I learned, it's really self-explanatory and it's something with all the traveling and hunting I've been doing, I should have already known and done a better job of, but it's really like truly knowing the regs of the state that you're hunting in. Uh, my buddy that was up there, you know, he thought he was pretty versed in the regs. I thought I'd done a lot of research and we almost screwed up pretty big time in Alaska with the black bear tags. Cause like you buy your hunting license and then you add your harvest tags and that was pretty cheap. And I was like, man, this is cheaper than I thought it was going to be. Well, come to find out you've got to buy as a non-resident, you've got to buy what's called a locking tag. So it's an actual physical metal tag that you then tag the animal with. Um, it's like a, once it seals, it's sealed. And that's what's expensive. Uh, that's like $450 for a black bear. Well, we had to rush and we actually burned up pretty much a half a day of hunting because we had to go drive down to this one spot. because It's, you know, so regionally specific. There's only like one town that'll sell these things to go buy the, the tag. And uh, I really think what it comes down to is the website wasn't very clear on what you needed. And the once you get into like the brochure, it's a lot more clear. And so my tip for that is, and I did, it's what I did when I got to Colorado and I was trying to learn the Western hunting uh, for the first time is I printed off, because uh, I couldn't obviously go to Walmart and get it. So I printed off when I was down in Georgia, the uh, entire hunting brochure and put it in a binder. So I had a physical copy of it and read through it front to back numerous times. And that's how I started to learn the Western system. I'm constantly seeing messages on, and stuff on Facebook on like these hunting pages where it's like, Oh, I'm from the East. I'm new to Western hunting. And like, how do I do this? It's like, well, what state do you want to hunt? And then get the copy of their hunting brochure, brochure read through that, make sure you understand the laws because the way, the way the law is written, the onus is on the hunter to understand that if you just ignorance is not an excuse um, if I had shot that bear and then not tagged it, I got have been fucked. Um, I'd have got a, a game violation. I would have essentially poached that bear, even though it wasn't intentional. Yeah. It's one of those things that obviously it, it kind of goes without saying, but then it, it's one of the, you kind of have to say it because you're right. The websites for a lot of these hunting regs, even not just in the Western world, but just in general, I mean, and hell the, the two primary States that I've hunted in North Carolina and Virginia, um, have very different rules and I'm kind of used to some of the way Virginia does things in that system. And North Carolina is completely different. And I was in a similar situation a couple of years ago, hunting with my brother-in-law on public land. We were reading the website and it was pretty ambiguous. It was about the Sunday hunting thing in North Carolina. That was, you know, the Sunday hunting was not allowed in North Carolina for a long time. And it's kind of been a, a slow transition to allowed. And and there were some specific instances where you could do it and then other instances where you couldn't the past couple of years as they kind of worked through that transition and, and we screwed up that. And it's just, it's one of those things where the website's not often clear. So I think it's a, it's a great idea to get a, get a printed copy of the rules, make sure you're familiar with them, read them, reread them, 
constantly read them, check them before every season. Things change. And yeah, you can try to stay pretty dialed in, but it's on you to, to understand it. The other thing you can do is just call the local game and fish or DNR office, you know, whichever every state calls it something a little bit different. It's CPW in Colorado, but you call that office and talk to them. Or um, what we did last year in Wyoming, Carter and I, as they were doing the check station, we just drove up to the check station and just started talking with the guys. And we're just like, hey, look, we just want to make sure we understand this because, like, though their CWD laws are super weird. Basically, like, it says you've got to fully process the animal completely in the field, leave the spine at the kill site, like, all this stuff. And we were like, this is pretty, you know, insane, like, the, how detailed this has to be. And so we just went and asked him for some clarification. And he told us, he's like, no, he's like, just make sure you're dumping it, you know, somewhere kind of either near the kill site or in, you know, away from you know, any, basically in a remote location, the carcass, and then don't transport the carcass out of the state. All the brain matter has to be out of the animal. Just, you know, some of that, that stuff for the CDWD prevention, but he, he appreciated the fact that we cared that much to come and talk to him. That dude gave us like two uh, Wyoming uh, game and fish uh, Yeti cups and like some stickers and stuff. It was just kind of cool. And like, you can start to build that relationship. And if you're hunting the same area and you get to know those local game wardens, then at least if you do screw up, they have an understanding and they know that like you give a shit and like you're trying to do the right thing. You just, you know, made a mistake out of ignorance, not out of, you know, intent. So I think it's definitely a, a big deal. And, and it does go without saying, like you said, Barry, but I mean, hell you start. And once you start hunting multiple States, I mean, I hunted four or five States last year. I've already hunted two States this year and we haven't even gotten to the fall yet. It's, it's hard to keep up and every State's a lot different. So, yeah, that's that's my, my tip. But we burned through that pretty quick, man. You got you got another tip lined up for us? Uh, yeah. Um, I think I do. So <clears throat> this one's going to be a bit of a of a um, one eighty from my first one, but something that, as you know well, Luke, and anyone that knows me knows that I obviously have a have a huge interest in uh, habitat management. Um, it's something we've talked a little bit about some of the things we're trying to do on our family farm it's something that i just have i love um and i wish i had more opportunity to do it on my own piece of property but a tip that i have for any of you guys out there that do have a piece of property that you either own or lease and you have the ability to do some habitat management uh you know implement some habitat management techniques for is to really get familiar with the local um the local floor that are on your that are in your region. And what I mean by that is learn to identify the native species versus the non-native species. And it sounds a little, you know, it's kind of a, it's something that a lot of people are talking about right now, but it really can be one of those things that you can spend just a little bit, a little bit of time targeting select species on your property and end up making a big difference. What I mean by that is target the native species that you know, your wildlife, prefer, whether it be for browse, whether it be for cover, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, way they choose to use it. And that might not just be limited to deer, it could be songbirds, could be pollinators, whatever it is, and try to implement management techniques that favor those native species. On the other hand, if you learn your invasive species, try to figure out one are those invasive species providing any actual benefits to the local wildlife? And two, um, 
if they're not or if they are minimal, what the best way is to remove those invasive species in order to give the native species um, a little bit more of an advantage. No, that's real good stuff, man. Can you uh, can you give an example of one of those native species that we'd see in like where we're from in Appalachia, but it's pretty consistent across like Eastern deciduous forests that would be beneficial to, let's say from like a a browse perspective. Well, so, excuse me, where we are, everyone, obviously everyone knows acorns, your white oaks, your red oaks, um, from a mass producing standpoint, those are, those are obviously native in the, you know, kind of in the, in the tree layer. Uh, you also have some, soft mass producing species that that a lot of people are familiar with um, persimmon um, obviously apples pears those types of things but what i've one of the things i've been kind of figuring out more recently is that there's a lot of herbaceous native herbaceous uh, forbs out there that provide a ton of different benefits to wildlife basically you know, multiple. The, the, the fine or herbaceous yeah, so um, I'm a dumb history major, man. Grasses, flowers, not not trees and shrubs, basically. You're, okay. You're, yeah, and they could be perennial, they could be annual, but think of your um, like a dandelion or uh, goldenrod or pokeberry, um, clover. Any, clover, exactly. Um, although clover is not technically native to the east, it's naturalized, but it's not technically native. But um, pokeberries. Yeah, yeah. Pokeberry is a really good one. Goldenrod are really is a really good one. Those are two just off the top of my head that I always just assumed, not always, but a lot of people just assume they're weeds, but they really have a lot of benefits to wildlife. They provide browse for deer. They can, when they get taller and bigger, they can provide cover for, um, for turkey poults. Um, they can provide cover for, for other animals, for, for rodents and and um, kind of ground dwelling animals and you don't, and the, and you can have it interspersed with something like a, a clover and a food plot. You don't just have to have this nice big uniform clover patch. You can encourage some, some of your native weeds, herbs, whatever you want to call them in some, in some kind of select or even randomized places. And it'll give those, it'll give those deer and that wildlife uh, more of a, more of an opportunity year round to use stuff that they're familiar with. And if you can, if you can take out some of your invasive species, like up on our farm, we've talked about the autumn olive or the Russian olive. That's, that needs to be a target of ours to remove that and then encourage some of the, the native species. It's, it's going to be something that is pretty selective, but can make a big difference from a, from a habitat standpoint. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great one right there. Cause it's one of those things that if you've never looked at, you know, what species are actually on your property, you probably have no idea what's invasive and what's not. So that education and that research is, is really important and will pay huge dividends when it comes you know, to that to that management for the wildlife. But my next tip is, uh, it's one that I actually got um, several years ago. And it's when I was at a bar in Nashville and was hanging out with Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater. Uh, and he was talking to me and, and he asked me and he found out I was in the army and we were, we were just kind of going back and forth. And he was talking about like all the guys he knows that hunt from the army have a problem with moving too fast in the woods. And I got to thinking about it and I was like, huh? Yeah, I do move too fast in the woods. 
And I think a big part of that is like, we're always like, like in our heads, it's like, especially like from a kind of an infantry patrolling type perspective, like you're always moving to the X, right? You got to go, you got to go, you got to get like, you got an objective, you got to get to that objective. And so you don't, you pick a spot in your mind, whether you're moving to the tree stand or whether you're moving to a glass on point or where you're going to set up camp or whatever else if you're in the back country and you're trying to get there or you spot an animal and you're going to set up an attack point and you're trying to get to that attack point as quickly as possible. Well, there's a lot of problems in that. And so the tip is to hunt your way to the X or hunt your way to wherever you're trying to go. And so you're moving slowly, glass your way in, like takes like stop, pull up those binos, scan those edges, scan those tree lines, uh, scan anywhere that might hold game that you can't see because you think you can see it with your eyes, but you can't, um, especially if they're in the tree line and walk, slowly deliberately slowly because even if you're spotting stock hunting this came up when we spotted a bear uh, with my buddy was just like hey let's slow down because like honestly if this bear is moving quickly and it's a couple miles from us like it was close to two miles it's probably pretty unlikely we're going to see that same bear but there's also a decent chance that we're going to encounter a bear in between we know we're in bear country so there could very likely be a bear in between us and where we're trying to go and so if we just blast our way in there, we're just going to blow out everything else. If you're hunting something like antelope, you're going to push antelope in between you and the antelope you're trying to get to. And then you're going to push out all the antelope. And same with mule deer. Mule deer are notorious for that. You'll spot a, a nice buck. You'll go move and you'll push out some does that were bedded and you weren't paying attention to them because you had tunnel vision. And then you'll, you'll those does will pull out all the bucks. Um, that happened to me numerous times in Wyoming. So it's just about going really slow and hunting your way to the X. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, and it doesn't just apply to stock to a spot and stalk. I think it applies to really all all styles of hunting in East Coast, West Coast. It's something, honestly, man. It's weird because when I was younger, I felt like I was a lot better at this, and the older I get, I don't know whether it's just because I'm getting more impatient, but like I have to constantly remind myself that. And dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been walking through the woods, still hunting, or. Um, you know, you, like even on our farm, sometimes you can you can see a, a deer off on a far ridge and try to go make a move on it. Heck, you and I tried to put a little bow stalk on a doe in the rain this past year. And, dude, that deer right there, had we just, I mean, we were going pretty slow and pretty intentionally. And it was raining, so we were pretty quiet. But I think if we had slowed it down even more, and like, I don't, I, I don't think she would have busted us, or I think we would have potentially had a shot we were damn close to getting a shot i mean how many well, times have we busted deer just blowing through the woods that we didn't even know were there or turkeys or whatever exactly and that's where my point about you know being slow and glassing even if you're in pretty thick timber you should still throw up your like 10 by 42s and like do that quick scan because if we had done that we when i spooked that deer because you're filming i was in front of you i was I had my bow she was within bow range when, when she busted us I mean, I could have shot her. I just didn't see her because she was behind some brush that I probably could have seen through if I was looking through my, my binos. And so, yeah, just going slow, every few steps, picking up your binos and scanning, a couple more steps, looking for sticks, like just being doing that deliberate stealth. And then when you do spot one, just moving even slower. The other thing is, is like, for some reason, like I feel like as hunters, like we have a big aversion to like low crawling. Like, well, baby crawl nobody wants to put their fucking face in the dirt and like scrape their face along the grass and move inch by inch and that's what it fucking takes sometimes um especially if you're trying to stalk with a bow so yeah just slow it down 
move deliberately slow. Always hunt your way to where you're going. You don't have to. It's not a race to get up the mountain. When I busted my elk last year, same deal. We were just busting timber, breaking up, trying to get up the mountain. And we didn't even see it when we busted it. And it was close. It was probably, it was definitely within rifle range. It might have been a long bow shot. I think we were about 60 meters from it. But it was so thick we couldn't even see it. But, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great reminder for everyone out there, for, for me, for you. And it's, it's something to to constantly be be telling yourself. But yeah, man, I think that'll go ahead and wrap us up. Uh, we're coming up on just over 20 minutes now. But, you know, uh, definitely y'all send us your feedback. Let us know what you think about the tips episodes. We're coming up. I think it's our seventh one. Uh, once we get to 10, we'll probably kind of reevaluate and see if we're going to keep these coming. Uh, all the feedback we've gotten uh, so far has been positive. So as of right now, I think we're going to keep the segment. And um, we do get a few less listens on this segment than we do the uh, the main podcast, but that's all right. Um, but y'all, I usually don't plug anything, but just cause we got so much going on, I'm going to do a couple plugs here just for, uh, we've got the gym line coming out as most of you guys have seen on 17 July. So it's this coming Saturday. Uh, we've got the men's, all the new men's swag. I'm dropping all the sneak peeks and then all the women's swag as well. Um, p- pretty big expansion of the women's line. We got a few things coming from men, a few shirts, a few tank tops, a few shorts, and then same for women. And then we're also dropping, I'm really excited about this. There's two new programs. Uh, these will be paid programs. We dropped a free one for everybody to use. Um, these ones are 12 week programs and they're pretty robust. And I was, I'm reviewing them right now. Pete just gave them to me. Uh, we're going to have a few tweaks this week and they're going to drop. And I'm extremely excited for these programs. I'm starting one of them uh, this week. Uh, I was supposed to start today, but life happened. So I'm going to probably start tomorrow. Uh, they're going to be five days a week, uh, 12 week programs. And so it's going to be, um, they're going to be pretty awesome. I'm really excited about these and we'll continue to expand our, our uh, arsenal of programs that we're going to offer y'all. But yeah, keep a lookout for all that. And uh, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thanks so much.